0: Good evening and welcome to Hockey Talk, our first episode of the year. I'm Paul Hillier along with our old buddy Andy Clark. And tonight, folks, we've got a great show lined up for you. We have uh, a little later on, we have Bill Granger, our OHL expert, coming online with us. Uh, But right now we have uh, former NHL defenseman, former Toronto Maple Leaf, Calgary Flame and Detroit Red Wing, Jamie McCowan on the line. And Jamie, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing very well, thanks. How are you? I'm doing very well myself. It's great great to have you on the show, and thanks for joining us. Uh, Andy, did you want to touch on a little bit of in the beginning here? Well, yeah, pumped. Uh, it's the first uh, first day of the NHL
1: season, and uh, I know a lot of uh, Toronto Maple Leaf fans are listening, so we'll be pretty excited here to uh, be talking to Jamie McCowan, who had a great 17-year NHL career. Uh, now, Jamie, first thing I wanted to ask you about was uh, we've had quite a few guests on here, uh, such as Dave and Rich Paverly, Curtis Sanford. That uh, something they all have in common was that they were undrafted, and uh, you fall into that category too. Can you tell us a little bit about your pathway to the NHL and perhaps why you uh, were a hidden gem, if we could say that?
2: Well, gem might be a strong word. But, uh, <laughs> I, I uh, when I was younger, I was uh, one of three boys. I was the middle one, and my my older brother, when he was like going into grade nine, was you know six foot, two hundred pounds, and my younger brother was. A little bit bigger than that. I was the opposite of that. I was, you know, going into grade 11. I was still four foot 11 and uh, about 95 pounds, and uh, uh, never really sure that we were. I was going to grow, uh, slight, slight build, and everything else. So I just had to learn how to skate and uh, hit and try to avoid getting hit um, because when I was growing up in Newmarket. We used to play Double A, even though we were only 11,000 uh, people at the time because we had a kid from, as they say, on the, the wrong side of the track. So we'd play against teams like, uh, you know, Barry uh, that had 60,000. And, uh, you know, I can tell you one thing. Obviously, in, in hindsight, it worked out well for me because I did learn how to, uh, how to get hit and take a hit and give a hit as best I could. And uh, And then later on when I was fortunate enough to grow, it just all kind of came together.
1: And then you uh, you played at uh, Ohio State University. How did you get recruited there?
2: Well, again, because, uh, you know, and this is one of these funny stories. My hockey team in Newmarket, you know, we used to have about, you know, 13 players total. Uh, just a bunch of kids that all grew up together and knew each other, played on the same team with each other for basically about eight years in a row. And we went to the All-Ontario Championships you know, six times, we won it five times, we went like three years without losing a game and uh, would play the young Nats, we play everybody. We're just a bunch of uh, hayseeds that just love to play and, uh, and somehow work together. And I knew at the time that we had a couple really good kids on our team, both played center. They're both fortunate enough to go to the OHL, but uh, I was never big enough to, to be even on the radar And so, fortunately, my grades were pretty strong. And when I finished grade 13, I had, you know, a number of different schools that were offering scholarships. And for whatever reason, I went down and visited a few. And I saw Ohio State, even though Ohio State had a a pretty, I'll be honest with you, a terrible arena. It just had such a great uh, opportunity everywhere else. You know, it had its own hospital, its own uh, engineering department, its own... I mean, it had everything. And I didn't know what I wanted to do uh, as far as uh, after... uh, Well, I was going to say after hockey, but before, just after, you know, when I grew up. And so Ohio State seemed like a good fit. And uh, from there, you know, things just uh, tended to to get better and better.
0: So uh, after you finished at Ohio State, uh, you you ended up playing for Calgary, signing with them. Uh, How did did that go about... Uh how did they reach out to you and uh, ask you to come join their uh, franchise?
2: Well, it kind of goes back. You know, halfway through my second year, I started to get bigger and stronger. And uh, we were playing a team, I think they were called Chicago Circle. And, you know, halfway through the second period, it was like nine to nothing. And uh, I was just skating up the ice with a puck. And some, some little kid got in front of me. And instead of me bowling him over, I put my hands out so I wouldn't hurt the kid. And lo and behold, he ducks, blows out my knee. And uh, I learned a valuable lesson: never, never go soft on anyone ever again. And uh, but what had happened was, the very next game, uh, I'm sitting in the stands because uh, I've had to have my knee completely reconstructed. And a bunch of scouts come into the uh, into the arena, and they're walking around and trying to figure out where is where. And, Eventually, one of them comes up to me and goes, you know, are you Jamie McCowan? I go, yeah. And I go, "Uh, you know, who are you sort of thing. And anyways, they start mentioning their their, their three scouts from three different teams traveling together. And uh, they basically asked me what kind of surgery it was. And I told them what it was. And they kind of looked at each other and said, all right, well, good luck. And they left because uh, they figured my, you know, the surgery was so extensive that I was never going to come back from it. And uh, the, for the very first time ever, I realized maybe there was an opportunity for me to play in the NHL. And uh, from that point on, I just worked, you know, for the, I should say, I, I was gonna say worked harder. I, I mean, I was always in good shape and luckily I had a body for that, but I never had really done a workout um, like, well, like these kids do today, of course. But I, you know, so I did squats and sit-ups and pull, uh, pull-ups and push-ups, and I did everything that, that you're supposed to do. Came back the next year was a step above of where I even was from the previous year, and in the very first game, uh, there were scouts there to see me, and my coach came to me basically and said, "Give me until Christmas," and that was the start of my third year. He says, "Just give me till Christmas," and I'm looking, "Give you till Christmas for what?" And he goes, "Before you turn pro." He says, "All those guys in the stands," he started pointing them out, "they're here to see you, but I need I need you know a few months to recruit somebody else to replace you." And uh, then I realized, okay, at Christmas, I'm going to be, you know, dropping out of school and uh, I'm going to be looking at for offers or looking at offers. And um, the Calgary Flames basically were one of those teams. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure how it worked with other teams, but uh, I got flown into St. Louis to watch the Calgary Flames play. And this was after I would officially resigned from school. And I had a chance to meet all the players. I met, you know, Dougie Riseborough and Lan McDonald and Guy Renard and Reggie Lemelin and all these older guys. And, but more importantly, I had a chance to meet Al McNeil and Al Coates and, and uh, Cliff Fletcher. And we drove around in, in uh, the car for a, a, for a couple of days and talked. And uh, in the course of like 10 minutes, Cliff Fletcher and I in the front seat were talking back and forth. He said, we really want to sign you. Here's what I'm going to offer you. Um, I negotiated a little bit but when I look back now I probably didn't negotiate a lot and um, it turned out to be probably the best offer I was going to get and it had guaranteed money in it and it had a guaranteed chance to play uh, and not get sent to the minors and uh, it's just one of those things that seemed like the logical fit and lo and behold I end up in Calgary
1: Uh, and when you you broke in with Calgary you broke in around uh, the same time as uh, Al McGinnis and I wanted to ask you about that because you probably had an incredible uh, front row seat to his uh, legendary slap shot and perhaps even in practice. I don't know if you ever, you know, had the, the the joy of getting in front of a few of those. So tell us a little bit about Al's shot.
2: Well, Al, uh, Al was in the minors when I came up and uh, uh, a guy like Timmy Hunter was also in the minors. He was uh, a fixture of our team for quite a few years during the Battle of Alberta. And... Uh, you know, Al was just a, a decent young kid, fresh face, sort of thing. And, uh, you know, Al was one of – I'm trying to think now how many of us there were. There was about seven of us that were all, you know, 24 or under on the team. And um, we were all just kind of having fun trying to figure out life. And, uh, and at the same time, we're thrust into the middle of this NHL thing and going up against the Edmonton Oilers and – I can tell you, and Al will be the first one to admit it, when he first came up, and it took him a few years to really get the game down. I mean, obviously he had the shot, and the shot kind of set him apart from everyone else, and you uh, definitely did not want to be in front of that shot. And we saw, like, you know, from, from either 20 feet away or 60 feet away, I must have seen Al get, you know, at least 50 goals with the goalie in his eyes. Like literally <laughs> pulling his stick off the ice. And because he would, you know, I'm not sure he, he, he said he did, but I don't think he did. He didn't really know where it was going at the time. A um, little better than some of the other guys, a little, little better than enough. But uh, when he took that shot, he got a hold of it. It was, it was like the fastest thing anybody had ever seen at the time. And, um, I mean, he'd hit a goalie in his shoulder, and that goalie would be sore for three days. And uh, if he was fortunate enough to do it, <coughs> excuse me, early in the game, that goalie was never approaching the puck again the same way. He was always pulling up, hoping he didn't get hit.
1: And, and that was in the era too, before all these composites too. So yeah, all the more remarkable. Yeah.
2: Well, <laughs> yeah, the old wooden stick, and he uh, he got away with it by doing. Uh, maybe he was the first guy to do it, but he was one of the first, anyways where he really put the curve on the stick by, the, uh, by the, the heel of the stick. And so consequently, when he was getting measured, he was always legal, or usually legal anyways. But, uh, but the curve on that thing was ridiculous. And everybody on our team tried it a couple times, but we just couldn't figure out how to stick handle it with it. So um, <laughs> if you were worried about doing a backhand or having a stick handle with the puck, the, his, his angle of stick was, uh, was pretty difficult to
0: handle. I guess then later on in your career with Calgary, uh, you, you had some pretty serious injuries uh, back in the late 80s there. And, and then you came back after maybe maybe having only, what, a 50 50 shot of ever playing again, and you come back and win the Stanley Cup with Calgary in 89. How did that feel after going through all of that time and missing a whole year of play to, to win a cup with the, the Flames and when you may have, may not even had a chance at coming back and to do that and be an integral part of that season?
2: Um, it was, uh, it was a bittersweet moment for me for a couple of reasons. Actually, my, uh, my mother had uh, passed away in training camp of that year. And, uh, but she, she knew that I was back playing. Right. So that was, uh, I think a plus for me. And, um, and, you know, one of the things that she had told me was just go and do your thing, you know, go and play hockey and, um, and, and live life, you know, and have and that sort of thing. And I had, uh, you know, I mean, hockey players are, are sometimes treated like cattle and, and uh, whatever, and back in my day when guys didn't make a lot of money, I was uh, ever so fortunate that I played with the Calgary Flames because uh, I had actually gotten back into the shape that I thought I could play in the NHL, and um, Cliff Fletcher, who was the GM at the time, basically came, know, uh, came to me and, and basically said, all right, if you want to play, we're ready to play. But at the last minute, so this was the year before at the last minute, he, he brought in some, some doctors and basically said to the doctors, if this was your son, would you let him play? And the doctor said, no, I wouldn't let him play. Give him another, you know, four months or five months to, to rehab and then, then let him play. And, um, you know, I was pretty upset at the time, but in hindsight, you know, maybe it was the smartest thing that ever happened because if I'd been injured again and hurt my shoulders and stuff like that, you know, who knows, maybe I wouldn't have been able to play the rest of my career. But it just goes to show you that the, the different mentality that some of the owners and some of the general managers had, because, um, you know, the Toronto area where we're all famous, there's a lot, I won't mention the names, but there's some famous coaches and general managers in Toronto even that, uh, they didn't treat the players that well, and uh, Cliff Fletcher and the uh, and the Flames organization were were, were completely uh, in your corner at all times, and, and and to this day they're still that same way. They're if, if they said they had to sit you for thirty games or forty games for your well being, even though it's going to hurt them, they would do it, right? So, anyways, that was uh, that was uh, quite a year. We had a we had a great team. We had a team that was so good that if it hadn't been for the Oilers. We probably would have won two or three more cups, but, uh, you know, I look back at it now and I live in Calgary and majority of the, of the questions that people ask me to this day are about the battle of Alberta. Like, what was it like? Or I missed that. Or, you know, something along those lines and they'll bring up different things. And and these are people that are bringing up exact facts that happened, you know, 35 years ago, sort of thing. And you're kind of going like, how do you
0: guys even remember that? But, it meant a lot to the people of Alberta. It does, and, I mean, uh, hockey fans are, are everywhere, especially, you know, Canadian hockey fans are probably the most enthusiastic of, of them all. I guess now over the years up and, like, playing in until today, do you think the defensive side of the game has been lost a little bit? Like, because now most of the guys, like the, the, the Eric Carlson's, are going for offensive points, whereas back when you were around and playing, you were you were more of the stay-at-home kind of guy. You were you were on the ice to keep the puck out of the net, and you did it very well. And there were a lot of other guys that did that same thing. But it seems to be now that more guys are trying to m- more focus on scoring and not so much on the defensive end. Uh, do you think that's part of the game now, or is it just the way things are going to be? Well, you know what. <sighs> I, I, to be honest with you, this is one of the most frustrating things. I'm
2: I'm the uh, the president of the Flames alumni out here and, and and I have a chance to meet with the players and talk with quite a few of the f- former players, not only Calgary Flames players, but uh, NHL players that also are part of our alumni. And to a person, the most frustrating thing about it is the fact that the game has changed so drastically. I mean, we all get the idea that... Uh, you know, you didn't want people uh, water skiing behind other players in the in the middle of the ice because they're just too lazy to skate and they got the hook and the hold going. And I'm all for getting rid of that stuff. I mean, I was never a big uh, a big proponent of that, but I do I do miss the hitting. I do miss the idea of doing a good defensive play. I mean, I don't know how many games I've seen where you watch a play and you go, Why didn't they? Why did they just do something there? And then you realize, Oh, they probably would have been called for a penalty. You know, like I mean, I've seen games where the guy's about to shoot it in the empty net, and they lift a stick up to prevent him from scoring, and it's a hooking penalty. He goes, "It's a hooking penalty." He's about to score. Yeah. He, he, he you know, he, it's just it's, it blows my mind, and I'm not sure who the, the 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 brains behind it is or are. But for me, you know, uh, the physical part of the game is what what sets uh, you know hockey apart. I mean, it's. Uh, you know, like I said, when I talk about hockey, now the people, they all want to talk about the big hits. They all want to talk about the battles. They all want to talk about the fighting, perhaps. And, um, and uh, you know, I don't I don't agree that uh, there should be, like, these stage fights. But when I played, there weren't stage fights. Right. I mean, anybody at any time might fight somebody else. And, um, you know, that's just the way it was. And But now... That's what happens when you have all these uh, new rules in there and the, and, the and you know, they basically took the enforcer right out of the game. And uh, I disagree with that. You know, I'm not, a, you know, I'm not saying I'm, you know, 100 percent behind whatever Don Cherry's saying at the, on, the, on any given day. But, you know, guys are getting slashed. Guys are getting their fingers hurt. Guys are getting, you know, hit from behind. And, you know, back when I played, if you want to do that, you were accountable and you weren't not only were you accountable that next shift but the shift after that and the shift after that and so the guys that wanted to play a a certain way they had to be willing to take it and um I think it all equaled out in the end where everybody respected each other and you realize certain guys were probably going to fight more often than others and certain guys probably were never going to fight but you know like in our case we had a guy like a Joey Mullen Well. I'm not expecting Joey Mullen to be fighting. He was, you know, 5'10", 165 pounds, you know what I mean, like that sort of thing. And uh, But I do, I do think that uh, players have been like, – I'll give you a good example. My first couple of years in the league, I was getting like 9 and 10 and 11 goals and, uh, and uh, getting around 40 points a, a season, and I wasn't on the power play. And I was just doing this regular. Well, then the, the Flames came to me and asked me to play more a defensive role – because now we've got McInnes and we have Gary Suter and, and, you know, we don't need another offensive guy. Well, you know what? I was happy to play defense. I played a lot. I probably played more than those guys did, but at the end of the day, those guys would play uh, and get paid two, three, four, five times more money than, uh, you know, a good defensive player would. And um, it's not, I, I don't agree with that. I mean, I think there should be an award for, you know the best defensive defenseman you know i mean there's exactly. the, under, the north trophy always goes for the you know basically the best offensive defenseman but um you know there's there's a whole whole i was you know i was, I was I make sure i say the right words here because i'm on radio but there's a whole bunch of uh, of awards for
1: offense mm-hmm. and there's, uh, including whole defensive whole forward people. yeah
2: yeah 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 and defensive forward like really when they decided to come out with that one that was like a Montreal thing well we need something for Bob Ganey why <laughs> Montreal said so you know it's like all right well there's some pretty good defensive defensemen out there that are out there for 20 25 minutes a game blocking shots and and keeping uh, whoever absolutely armor Jaeger off the off the scoreboard right you know so um, I don't uh, I don't know what the, what, to, what to say about that other than um, you know, these guys have got a lot of talent. They're great They're great defensemen, um, but they're more offensive defensemen than the style of defense that we used to play.
1: Um, now I have to, since we're in Toronto Maple Leaf territory here, uh, someone you got to see both in Calgary and uh, with Toronto, you were part of that huge trade. It was at the time the biggest trade in the NHL, I believe, because there's 10 players involved. But uh, tell us what it was like uh, seeing uh, killer Dougie Gilmore up close.
2: Well, Dougie came from St. Louis um, to Calgary, and you know we had such a strong team. He didn't play as 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 large a role in, in, in Calgary as he did in Toronto. Now he was a good player, but we also had Joey Newingdyke, and we also had Lamb Down and Hawk Lube, and we had Joey Mullen, and we, I mean we had a we had an inc- incredibly strong team. And then for whatever reason, he got you know he got into Toronto. And he started to blossom even more. You know, he he took it to that next level. And uh I mean, you'd be watching him on the bench or you'd be watching him from five feet away sometimes. Dipsy dueling and and uh you know, like I remember the first year Lion McDonald got sixty six goal and honest to goodness, you know, thirty of them like seemed to bounce off fourteen things to go in. <laughs> and you know, it's when it when it's happening and it's happening, right? You know, and and Dougie just, everything just clicked for him for a couple of years there in a row where, you know, he'd take a shot or a backhand or a, a, he'd twirl or he'd do something. And, you know, Wendell Clark there, it helps him out, doesn't hurt too much. And, right. and uh, Dave Anderchuk. And, but uh, Dougie took it to a new level. And, um, <laughs> excuse me, it's one of those things you just never know. Would he have been that good if he'd been traded to, you know, Montreal directly instead of going to Toronto, right? You know, if, that sort of thing, but but uh, obviously, Killer's uh, you know his reputation
0: is cemented in Toronto for sure. Absolutely, uh, we've just got a couple minutes left with you here. Um, I guess we'll get into uh, your World Championships with Team Canada. You won silvers with them in '85 and '91. Was that as as big a deal to you playing for your country as it as it seems to be as for most players that we've spoken to about that?
2: I, r- I really enjoyed it. I was quite proud to be uh, to be asked. Um, you know, I ended up playing four times for T- for Team Cannon and then turned down one and just like had some injuries, I couldn't. You know, but like '85 was for me, it was special because it was in Czechoslovakia, it was in Prague, and uh, you know, we ended up losing. I think it was five to three in the final, but uh, it was a classic case of uh, <laughs> too many chiefs and and uh, not enough workers, sort of thing there because Alan Eagleson was was sticking his nose in the middle of everything and. We're getting rid of this goalie. We're getting bringing in a new goalie. <coughs> Excuse me, got a bit of a cold here. And at the last minute, for the last game, they bring in Larry Murphy and, and Scott Stevens to play. And now oh, these guys are great players. And I had a chance to watch Larry Murphy uh, in person for quite a few years. Great talent. But we basically use those guys, you know, for 25 minutes of the game. They just come over from over, you know, from from. Uh, from Canada and, uh, United States, they had jet lag and everything. And, uh, one of the reasons we didn't win the, the gold was cause Eagle had stuck his nose in there. And if he just let us play, we probably would have won the cup or won the, won the gold. And, uh, but having said that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take anything back for anything. It was a, it was a learning curve for me. I remember walking down the, the road, uh, in Prague for like three hours and going, Oh my goodness, where am I now? I'm going to have to find my hotel. And I turn around and I can still see my hotel. I <laughs> did three for three. You know, I'd only gone like three full blocks in three hours. I was just absorbing everything that was coming in. And the guys that were over there the first year, uh, uh, Ricky vibe was part of it and Delego and Anderson were there. And, and there were some, you know, some great guys and a chance to really get to know some of the other players. Cause back in those days, you didn't talk to many other players and you definitely didn't get traded very much. Cause you know that was a shameful thing to be traded. So it was it was it was great to chance to meet some of the other players and, and and learn and realize you know they're human too. Yeah.
1: And uh, right before we go here, uh, do you want to give us your uh, preseason prognostication on who's going to be the big winner uh, this season?
2: Oh, who's the who's the cup
1: winner? Yeah, Are you saying? Yeah.
2: Well, being from Calgary, I can't say Edmonton uh, <laughs> because you know. <laughs> But Edmonton's got a pretty strong team, and it depends on on Edmonton's goaltending, I think, really there. Uh, Calgary's had a tough, tough goal of it. But, uh, you know, they're one of those teams where last year they had had some better goaltending. They might have had a shot at it. But uh, you would think that Pittsburgh would be back in the middle of it, but it's tough to go back-to-back, let alone back-to-back-to-back. Right. And um, um, I don't know. I think... uh, to be honest with you, I think it's going to be, it's going to be someone that no one's expecting. You know, it's, it's going to be somebody like, uh, I, I, I love to say Washington. Cause I think after all these years, it deserved to get there, but, uh, I don't think they're going to do it either. But, uh, I could see somebody, whether it's a, a Dallas or it's a St. Louis or a Nashville, I think somehow it's coming out, uh, out of the West side here. And, um, you know, Dallas has got a heck of a team and, um, but you know the West tends to beat the crap out of each other, right? Yeah. And so by the time you get to the finals, you're, if you're if you can stay injury free, you're okay. But if you're not, you know, Anaheim's got a big team, LA's got a big team, you know, Winnipeg's got a big team. And, You know, there's some there's some big boys out here in the West. So um, I'd love to see Toronto in there, though. Let's put it that way. Uh, for years, I've been hoping that Toronto would would get get in there and uh, and you know spark spark the 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 craziness that happens only in Toronto. But uh,
0: maybe that'll happen if all the reporters stay out of the way. Maybe. <laughs> well, it was it was great having you, Jamie. Thank you for your comments, and it was great talking to you, and uh, maybe we'll get you back on later in the season again. All right. Well, have fun, guys. Thanks yeah, for talking to us. great. Thanks a lot, Jamie. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. There's Jamie McCowan, former... Toronto Maple Leaf, Calgary Flame, and Detroit Red Wing. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here, and we'll be right back in a couple of minutes with uh, Bill Granger to talk some OHL.
1: Apparently, you had like a front row seat when uh, Sydney won the had, had the yeah, golden goal. Yeah, he...
0: And welcome back to Hockey Talk on uh, Blue Water Radio and Eastlink TV. Thank you for w- listening and watching to wherever we are. And uh, we're back, and we've got Bill Granger on the phone, commentator for the Guelph Storm and all-around OHL expert. And, uh, Bill,
3: welcome back. It's nice to have you on the show again. Oh, thanks for having me again, guys. And um, I'm not too sure of your uh, expert comment there, but uh, we'll, we'll try to fake her
0: through that way. That sounds <laughs> nice, good. Nice to be back, though. It's nice to have you again. Uh, I hear you were at the Invictus Games last week and had a lot of fun doing that. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that experience with
3: you? Yeah, first of all, you know, I was at the Olympics, you may know, recall, in, in 2010 in Vancouver, and uh, a great experience there being crew uh, lead for the, the protocol uh, people in uh, both men's and women's hockey and right up and close and personal and the the sights, sounds and smells of hockey that mm-hmm. close but i'll tell you one thing and, and actually bill i'm gonna interject most- hey bill was- sorry i gotta
1: interject because this is a story that i i heard secondhand but i didn't hear from you but you were talking about the the olympics there apparently you had like a front row seat when uh sydney won the had, had the yeah, golden yeah,
3: goal he, he, it was uh, my my office so to speak was right behind the glass at that end where sydney scored and uh, Um, I had access to all the the games being the crew leader for the the team of five protocol people, so I was uh, up close and personal with, well, not personal, but up close with uh, (laughs) uh, all the the games. Do you
1: have a pair of uh, hockey gloves there tucked away from...
3: No, I didn't. I was on the wrong side for that one.
1: Oh, you did get the go. Okay.
3: No, but anyway, back to the Invictus. It, in spite of what, how great the Olympics uh, experience was, this was the most inspiring sporting competition I've ever witnessed. And uh, I've been at memorial cups and seen young players come and go and all the rest of it. This, this by far took the cake as far as the big prize and and what I experienced. And this, of course, uh, the Invictus Games is
0: something that Prince Harry uh, just. Came up, came up with and has been doing, um, did, did you get even close to him at the Invictus Games at all? Yeah,
3: our, our job was to, as protocol people, was to look after uh, all the v, VIPs, the VVIPs even, and uh, there are a number of occasions where he was within an arm's length of me going from point A to B and so on. So, yeah, we saw them, but, but Prince Harry is completely dedicated uh, to the athletes he kind of shakes his head with all the attention he gets uh he's deserving of the attention but uh, if he had his druthers he would like to focus on on the athletes and the games themselves but uh, uh hats off to him for for creating this thing and he's he's leaving quite a legacy for himself
1: and uh, for our viewers and listeners, uh, just tell them a little bit about what is the Invictus Games. And what's it all about?
3: Uh, in this games, it's it's uh, it's a set of uh, competition adaptive uh, sporting um, um, events: basket wheelchair basketball, uh, sitting volleyball, and so on. And they're adapted to the uh, degree of injury. That uh, the athletes for and and they're veterans of military from representing their various countries and there are 17 countries I believe, uh, 550 athletes I believe, and these adaptive sports uh, complements uh, what the injuries they have, and uh, that's what it's all about. It's part of the healing process, not only uh, physically but uh, mentally and emotionally as well.
1: Yeah, I have to say, uh, in, in my other role in life, I, I, I teach elementary school, and I, I uh, showed some of the footage uh, to some of my uh, grade five and six students, and they were just blown away it was actually on the day we were doing our terry fox run so it sort of blended in with uh, the themes there for me i saw the indoor rowing and i was just from a purely athletic standpoint i was blown away with some people that had only one arm and what they were able to do on that rowing machine was just
3: unbelievable yeah it's it's that's that's the inspiration that that i talked about uh in my opening remarks and uh um it's just incredible sometimes beyond words but uh uh, these people, men and women alike, uh, uh, compete for themselves, compete for their teams, represent their countries, but are they ever um, uh, of, supportive of one another? And uh, that's just the way it is, is—the what they bring to the competition field.
0: It, it was a, probably a great experience for you. Um, Michael Burns was the CEO of this event. Uh, tell me, did you really get to meet him and what kind of a person was he like?
3: Michael Burns is the CEO, CEO of the 2017 Invictus Games hosted in Toronto, and he is one real uh, gentleman, first of all, well-spoken, educated, and uh, quite a manager, and, and he uh, took charge of the, the, uh, the Invictus Games to have it come to Toronto and managed it so well. In, in his uh, estimation, the whole Uh, Part of the fans who turned out, 75,000 people came to see uh, the seven or eight days of competition. Uh, They sold out venues with with regularity, and uh, uh, he had people beneath him to uh, enlist the support of volunteers, sell the tickets, get the venues, all of that, and he is just one superb individual. I can't say enough about him. Uh, As far as meeting him, he came, after the closing ceremonies, he came uh, to the group of Um, protocol volunteers that uh, I was uh, proud to be a member of and and we were upstairs in the Air Canada club uh, uh, greeting the the VIPs from around the world uh, representing uh, levels of government, uh, levels of military and so on and he came down to our after uh, discussion and and just said uh, you guys were part of a a larger team of volunteers who just absolutely hit it out of the park and, and were such a big part of of making the games come off uh, so well. And where it was important for the VIPs uh, and, and the protocol crew who worked uh, with them and greeting them, it, where it is important, yeah, you're pressing a lot of f- flesh, you're, you're uh, smiling and greeting and, and putting on the best face for Canada that you possibly can, but what was underscored to us is these are the people who will make the games continue, who will uh, enable the funding uh, to go forward uh, for a fourth, fifth, and sixth, and all those other years years down the road that uh uh, harry has set the path for and uh you
0: got to meet a lot of the athletes uh did you see a lot of uh, expressions from the athletes and their families maybe even about how how happy they were that to be involved in this because this has to be a big deal for them you know some of them had some severe injuries that have happened in the past during battles and, and this looked like they were thoroughly enjoying themselves just doing this
3: Yeah, what we learned right from the the get-go was that uh, when there's a devastating uh, injury to uh, one of the soldiers, uh, uh, whatever field they they were in in the military, it was also an injury to the family. And these games were as much about uh, rehabbing the families as well as the as the athletes themselves, and it's it's a, a, a family uh, group. And there's a picture that I have uh, uh, sent up there that shows a greeting of fam- to a couple of, of families to uh, their their fathers and, and spouses who uh, finished the the wheelchair basketball for Team UK. And it was just so wonderful to see. And and you mentioned earlier about indoor rowing. One of those pictures was uh, a very familiar face and very popular athlete uh, at the games in indoor rowing, as well as the, the uh, wheelchair basketball. And you've got a picture of him. And I, I took a moment to go down and shake his hand and congratulate him. And uh, and he was one of the stars of the, the show, so to speak. But uh, uh, it's it's all about families and the athletes competing and supporting one another.
1: Sounds like a uh, truly tremendous experience. Uh, We should probably shift gears and uh, talk a little OHL here. Uh, Maybe start with a team that you've probably uh, got a good eye on so far is the Guelph Storm. How are things looking for them so far?
3: Well, not not bad. Uh, they, they're they on a modest two-game winning streak. It's it's only coming into the third weekend of the league play, but they've looked better each time out. They've got a road wind under their belt, and uh, they were scoring some goals and a 6-3 victory over Sagan on their last outing last Saturday. So that's a very positive sign for them. They are a bigger and stronger uh, team this year. Uh, the guys from last year's team that are are still on the roster, uh, have to be a year better, not just a year older, but a year better. Um, and the coaching staff uh, under George Burnett has done a great job in, in bringing in uh, um, players like the, to make them bigger and stronger, like Zach Poirier, a forward. He's big and strong. Not so big, but uh, very strong. Mark Shoemaker on the back end, 6'2 and 220, really inc- helps increase the size of the um, and the experience of the, the back end for the Storm. And uh, making a move to acquire Owen Lalonde, who was the second pick behind Ryan Merkley in the 16 draft, the entry draft, was quite a coup as well. And do you, do you see the, teams,
0: I guess the team dynamics changing in the next couple of weeks now that the NHL has pretty much set all their rosters and some players may be coming back to some of the other teams as well as the Storm?
3: Well, as far as the storm goes, uh, they had some players away at camp who who came back. Uh, Unfortunately, there were some injuries, uh, most notably uh, Giovanni Smith, who has got a high ankle sprain that's going to keep him out for at least the next two weeks. But Liam Howell missed a couple of games last week. And uh, um, another player, uh, his name skips my mind right now, it'll come to me, but he's back as well and he that that is going to mean so much to to the team but they had last weekend four front line big offensive players out of the lineup when they're all back it's going to be uh, an effect on on players perhaps who were here last year uh, that aren't going to be on the roster come uh, um you know a week or two down the road when uh, uh smith is back uh, but um Nick Deacon-Poot is an example. He has left the team. He was put on waivers and cleared, and he's now playing in the queue. So uh, that's the kind of thing that's going to happen, and there may be one or more uh, players like that who are currently playing for the Storm who won't uh, be here in a week or so.
1: Now, uh, your partner in crime, uh, when you're calling the Guelph Storm Games, is uh, our own Steve Fitzsimmons who uh, our our viewers on TV will notice uh, his his seat's empty right now because he's actually uh, helping out filling in with the Owen Sound attack. So uh, what are your your thoughts on the attack this year so far?
3: Well, when you start to look at uh, the the Western uh, Conference contenders, you have to put Owen Sound in there. They're sixth in the conference right now with five points. But they've only played three, three games, and in those games, they're undefeated in regulation. They're second in winning percentage with uh, 83.3. So, uh, you know, out of the gate very well. Uh, limited numbers a game, the fewest number of games actually played uh, in the conference with a couple of other teams. So they've, they've got the best possible record they could uh, have, um, so to speak, uh, coming out of the chute, uh, like sixth uh, place in the conference. In a very tight conference, as all teams get some wins under the belt, five points and uh, uh, that's not bad for three points or three games played. And uh, as far as uh, uh, them being in the run, uh, uh, an absolute contender when it comes to the end of sixty-eight games. And I think Flint Firebirds too. They're currently third in the conference with six points. They're undefeated after three games and a uh, thousand batting a thousand in three games played. And uh so that's pretty good uh, uh, record for the firebirds. And they've reorganized uh, since the 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 fiasco that the the town and and the team went through a couple of years ago. but they they've got their feet under them now, and uh, i I think that when we come to talk about Coach of the Year, I'll have more to say about that. And an interesting game tonight is uh Sarnia in Owen Sound tonight. that is they they too, in my book. They've only got one regulation uh, loss in four games, uh, and what I like about their record so far, in, in, uh, other than the, the point production, is the goals for 18, and they have the best goals for and goals against differential of eight in the conference. They've got six points and sitting in four spot, but uh, uh, they, they're going to be in that upper tier of this conference uh, uh, heading into the, the final uh, weeks of the season.
1: And uh, I wanted to ask you next about uh, the Kitchener Rangers because uh, not only do they get some great pickups like uh, Logan Stanley, but they were kind of hitting uh, the social media and in, in the airways last night with uh, Matthew Barnaby who, by the way, he was on our show last year uh, the day that they announced him uh, joining the Kitchener Rangers as an assistant coach. And then last night all of a sudden he... Uh, They've parted ways, is what they said, because of philosophical differences. So what's going on with the Rangers, and do you have any any, any no, insights I, I, on I
3: can't answer you that yeah. on that, uh, but a, a fellow you should uh, may perhaps give a call would be Mike Farwell, who's the radio voice of the Rangers. Um, but the Rangers, are again, are good out of the gate, aren't they? Uh, they are. Currently standing in top spot in the West, but uh, uh, there are some areas of their, <clears throat> their team where there may be a little suspect, namely in, in goal, and uh, we'll just have to wait on them. I, I really don't have them in the top three or four teams uh, in in the, the Western side. Okay, so we'll,
0: we'll put you on the spot here and, and get us to give give us your give us your top three at the end of the season uh, in the Western Conference. I'm going to call Windsor. Sorry,
3: Owen Sound, Flint, and Sarnia. Oh, interesting. I have to give honorable mention to the Spitfires. They're defending, but uh, their strength uh, is uh, certainly in goal. And uh, absolutely, the goals against is only seven, and their third best in the goals for is fourteen. But yeah, I I, I I like them because they're the champions, and, and uh, until they're dethroned, they're still champions. But I don't think they'll 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 be there in the end. I think Di Pietro will be dealt at the trading deadline for the highest bidder. Uh, we had uh, Brock Bear on last year name dropping all our uh, guests from last
1: year but Brock looks like he uh, he looks like he's ready to step in uh, if they do uh, trade DiPietro
3: well it, it, I don't think Windsor expected to to do a whole lot this year they would be competitive as the, as we would expect uh, but uh, as far as uh, Doing anything to uh, be in the upper half of the conference, I don't think that they see that in the books for themselves. But uh, this is a developmental league, and and you have to move your assets to uh, brighten your future. And and what you said there about the other goaltender replacing D Pietro is is probably a a sound move for them uh, going uh, down the road a couple of years. Yeah. Uh, Bill, we've got to take a
0: quick commercial break here. Hopefully, you'll stick with us and we'll come back and we'll talk about some uh, prognostications on uh, some trophy winners for this year with you. Very good. Thank you. And uh, we'll be right back on Blue Water Radio and East Link TV. Uh, Let's get into some uh, maybe award winners this year. And welcome back to Hockey Talk on Blue Water Radio and East Link TV. I'm Paul Hillier along with Andy Clark and Bill Granger still on the line. And, Bill, I guess uh, let's get into some uh, maybe award winners this year. Um, I'll throw a few names out at you, uh, like uh, Alex debrinkit Mitch Marner, Connor McDavid, Connor Brown, Vincent Trocek. These guys are all the last five winners of the Red Tilson Trophy. Um, Do you have some uh, early-on guesses as to who might be on that list for next
3: year? Well, yeah, I do, but, you know, so you've only got three or four games under their belts, and and, uh, it's kind of hard to look ahead, but uh, some players that I've seen early in going and, and who are potentially elite players, uh, one that comes to mind is Alan McShane, who's in Oshawa, uh, just a second-year player. He he came from Erie in the trade uh, to build the uh, Otters up to that for that Memorial Cup run uh, with Cyril, Anthony Cirillo, I think, uh, going down there. But uh, this guy has got potential elite status. He's a great playmaker. All of his points are, are uh, on the assist side of the ledger. Uh, I got a big question mark beside his goal production, but I guess if he's given it to guys who are putting the puck in the net, he's he's okay. He's tied for first with uh, overall uh, nine points, along with uh, two other players. A, a three-way tie for first. But another guy that's with uh, Oshawa is Jack Stignica and he's a veteran in this league, and he's he's up there too uh, with uh, nine points, two goals, and seven assists. So that might be two out of Oshawa that that you might consider. And the third one in there is in North Bay, uh, Cam Dineen. These are all uh, players on the east side. Uh, he's got eight points, four goals, and four assists, uh, and he's in second spot. So, you know, out of the gate early is is good. Uh, um, uh, perhaps a sentimental favorite uh, might be Luke Burkhart, who moved from Guelph to North Bay. He could be the dark horse. I'm, I'm not sure whether he's going to keep up the pace or not. But he's uh, up there at the top uh, in that three-way tie for um, uh, leading points in the in the league with Stenica and uh, McShane.
0: And is there a player that maybe either either that was in the league last year that stands out to you as? as a potential MVP
3: for this year, whether it be an offensive well, yeah. guy or a defensive? Well, I have one, one and one. I have a guy who's a familiar name around the league, and I mentioned earlier about the leaders in the, the, last, the west side uh, in Sarnia, and uh, three goals, five assists in second spot is uh, Drake Rimshaw. And, and if he's got a, a supporting cast around him, he, he could uh, continue to blossom this year. Uh, but it's, again, very, very early. But uh, he's in a good spot coming out of the gate for Sarnia. And a, and a player in Guelph his first year, he, he's uh, part of the, the Russian connection that Guelph has developed. And uh, he's, he's a, a big, strong forward, four goals, four assists, and stands in second place. And that's Alexei uh, Toropchenko. And he's a relative unknown, his first year in the league, but he has got some hands, he's got a terrific shot, is able to find the open ice and and put himself in position to score goals. And uh, he's having a a terrific start for the Storms and is leading them offensively. So he's a guy, if he can keep it up and stay healthy, uh, he he just might be uh, uh, his name in the hat too.
1: And uh, I know it's pretty early and and this one has to play out, but uh, who, who are you thinking
3: for a coach of the year? Well, uh, these teams that I'm going to mention, and of course it goes without saying that the success of the team is a reflection on the uh, uh, the coach as well, but I'm going to start with Flint Fire Bears, Ryan O'Hulan, and, and he's a guy, this whole organization has, has been in a rebuild, and they've done it from hockey operations to player development and, and uh, in the draft as well. Uh, but the supporting staff around him, led by Barkley Branch, and there's a name you're going to to, to hear uh, often, and assistant general manager is Joe Stefan, and director of player development is he as well, and the goaltending coach is Greg Stefan, who is a Detroit Stanley Cup champion. So these guys around. O- O'Lehan, uh, uh, I should say, are are very great supporting foundation for him. And uh, as your goaltender goes, uh, so goes the team in many respects. And uh, having Greg Stefan as their goaltending coach is a huge uh, uh, a step in the right direction. Joe Stefan and uh, Barkley uh, Branch as the general manager has uh, all of these guys have really put the, the Firebirds in 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 a, a positive light as they rebuild. And like I said, they're, they've rebuilt in a number of areas. Yeah, that's a, that's a probably a pretty good idea.
0: Um Okay. uh Let's touch on uh, the Eastern conference now and uh see what, what you think might come out of the East to uh battle the, the West this year. Because if you look at last year's playoffs in the OHL, the West was really out in the open as the strongest conference. And, uh, um, from what I've seen so far this year, it looks like some of the Eastern teams might be a little bit more challenging this year.
3: Yeah, I like, I like Barry, uh, Kingston, and North Bay in there. When you mention North Bay, I always say it's the Stan Butler effect. And uh, they have the, the best winning percentage thus far. They're second in the conference with seven points. Kingston's on top uh, with eight, and Barry third with seven uh, points. Uh, their, their goal differential, that being Barry, uh, between goals for and goals against is not plus nine, and that's first in that conference. They've got 22 goals, uh, for, and that really shows that they can put the puck in the net and just 13 goals against. And that's, that's a sign of the defensive, um, Uh, side of their game that Dale Harwichuk has got going for them, offense and defense and when you've got a balanced attack like that it's uh, a pretty good sign that uh, that you could be there in the end as well. Kingston is first in the conference with eight so they're doing some right things down there as well and uh, uh, the outside chance is the Oshawa Generals, you know uh, the the question mark around them is their their uh, goals against which is third highest in the conference 20 they've got a ample number of goals in the net with 26 but they're fifth in the conference uh, six uh, six points but again it's early but uh i like barry and kingston and north bay as the top three over there
1: yeah last year obviously was a dismal year for barry but other other than last season, uh, Dale Howarchuk tends to get a lot out of his lineup, so I'm looking for them to have a real bounce-back year.
3: Well, when you mention Dale Howarchuk, you know he's a recognized and, and uh, a great nhl he was in his day, so he brings that uh, attitude about how to play and how to win uh, with him to the, the Barry Colts.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Bill, we've only got a minute or so left uh
3: i got two more candidates for Coach of the Year, that, if you that, want them. That would be great. Well, you mentioned Kitchener Rangers. Jay McKee, he's another guy like uh, Dale Howarchuk with a wealth of playing experience, 14 years in the, in the National League, Stanley Cup Finals, Eastern Conference Finals, uh, three years. He won the Bill Masterton Trophy in 2004, and, and that's for perseverance and sportsmanship and dedication. And those qualities of a hockey player, and as well as the experience, really um bring a lot to to young players they they automatically look to him for the leadership and the counsel and the guidance and the mentorship and so on as well as the coaching but he knows what it takes to win at the highest level so uh, the rangers uh, have got a good guy in jay mckee and i think this is his second full year so we'll see how the rangers do end up and you don't have to be a champion this is a regular season uh, Um, Vote on the coach of the year The third guy is George Burnett He's coming back to Guelph General manager and head coach Uh, He's made moves like I said To bring in bigger stronger guys And I mentioned a few of those earlier And he's got the potential to make the Storm The most improved team In the OHL this season. So they've been 10th in the conference for two years in a row, so they got nowhere to go but up. They're still a young team, though, and uh, they got a head uh, scout in Wade Branch. There's the branch name again. And he brought along Jake Grimes uh, with him, who was uh, with him in Belleville. And uh, Jake Grimes is joining uh, Luca Caputi who's in the uh, second or third year I've forgotten, with the storm as associate coach.
1: Hey uh, uh, Bill they're, sorry they're I, well, I hate to cut you off because all this great insight, but uh, we're hitting the top of the hour so uh, we're going to have to have you on quite a bit this year to uh, continue you to know. get your great insights and uh, th- <laughs> th- thanks that's
3: for why uh, you have that's why you have Steve on a weekly basis <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> but yeah we look forward to talking to you again bill thanks
0: for uh, thanks for talking to HL with us. Okay, you're welcome guys. take care Bill. Bye Thanks, now. Bill Granger from the Guelph Storm commentary team, and uh, that pretty well wraps up the show for tonight. Uh, it, was, it was a great show, Andy. Uh, any last thoughts here real quick?
1: Yeah, first episode of Season 3 on, and uh, just to let you know, folks, we have quite a few great guests, uh, like tonight's Jamie McCown and and uh, Bill Granger. Uh, we're, we're getting quite a great lineup uh, in place for you and your uh, viewing and listening pleasure, and... Yeah, make sure you tune in
0: next week for hockey talk. We'll be back. Thanks you for watching on East Link TV and listening on Blue Water Radio. And this has been Hockey Talk.